Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Welcome to City of Life Church. Those of you that are watching online, I want to say hello to you today. I believe God is moving. He's got something for you. Look at someone next to you and say, don't listen to Jackie. Uh, ja- Jackie's got the worst, got the worst advice. We're trying to give you all the bad advice up front. Uh, so we can kind of uh, <laughs> give a biblical example of what, what we should be doing. That's what our series is, is about right now. It's called Modern Problems, Ancient Solutions. We're looking at some different things that culture seems to be obsessed with and, and has their own worldview that really won't lead to anything profitable uh, in your life. Last week, we talked about anxiety, and I hope it was an encouraging message to you. I kind of tried to ask everyone to keep calm. Uh, to, that, that's the solution to our anxiety is to celebrate. It's a little acrostic to celebrate, to ask God for help, to leave your worries with God and to meditate on good things. Also last week, we talked about the fact that you may never be able to be free from the presence of anxiety, but if we do it the biblical way, we can break free in Jesus name from the prison of anxiety. So today I want to do kind of the same uh, type of thing and just kind of take a biblical look at money just in a general sense. You know, one thing I love about City of Life is over the last several years, we've got so many covenant leaders and it's really families and people that are committed to the vision of not only this church, but to following a biblical model for their lives personally. And they really exemplify uh, what we believe at City of Life are is godly character. People uh, that we want to, you know, be mentored by, people that we want to pour into our lives. And one thing I love about our church is that during that time every week where we talk about finances, we have a different covenant leader comes up. And, you know, we got some basic principles that everyone knows from being here at City of Life, but we don't give anyone a script to say exactly what to say. They're sharing uh, biblical principles about giving. And I love every week getting to hear a different take on money and finances from them. And I think that our covenant leaders do a great job every week. They work really hard to bring awesome content. Could we give a huge hand for our covenant leaders? I mean, these guys are working hard every week to bring something special for you guys so you can connect with God and kind of see an everyday use of how those principles can affect and change your life. So today, uh, I'm going to jump into this. I'm actually going to talk about money. I'm just going to pray and get into it. So Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. God, thank you for your presence that's just in this room right now. We love you, God. We we appreciate you. We care for you, God. We want to see you move in our lives in brand new ways as we make room for a series like this about modern problems, ancient solutions. God, what we're doing is we're saying that we believe that your word has the power to speak into our lives and it transcends culture, it transcends what's popular, but we believe your way is the best way. So today, show us a different way of looking at things. Don't let us come into this day, Lord, saying, I already know this, I already know that, but Lord, speak truth into our hearts so that we can leave changed in your presence to reflect your goodness in this world around us that desperately needs your hope in so many ways. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So our series, um, you know, is looking at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says all scripture is God breathed or inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
It really means that the Bible is reliable and the Bible is the source of where we build our worldview from on every subject, on every topic. So as we're looking at scripture and we're rightly dividing the word of truth, we believe Hebrews 4.12, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So the goal of this series, hopefully like we do every Sunday, is to give a biblical perspective on these various topics. So as we jump into things like jumping right into statistics that are from the Wall Street Journal, it's, all, it's important to know that our, our background and the backdrop of what we're saying is the Bible. Okay, so here is, here's a, some research that I found from the Wall Street Journal. This, I thought this was pretty shocking. It says that they did a report and they asked Americans to prioritize various subjects what priority they put on a particular topic. And they did this study in 1998. They did it several years later, and they just recently did it about one month ago uh, in, in, in uh, March. And what they found is that when Americans were, prior, Americans were prioritizing these various areas of their lives, they said that community involvement in 1998 had a 62% value on how important it was to them. That has dropped from 62% to 27% in 2023. So a 35% drop, com community involvement, is only important to about 27% of Americans. Also, having children in 1998 was at 59%. 59% of Americans said it was a priority to someday have children. That has now dropped to 30%. So we see that the family structure in America is no longer as important and as significant to people. People don't see and, and don't see a value and a beauty in a general sense in getting married, sharing in a, 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 a godly relationship, raising kids in the fear of admonition of the Lord. That's a 29% drop. Uh, religion has dropped in 1998 62% of Americans said religion was very important to them. Over, I mean, well over half, 62%. That has now dropped as of one month ago to 39%. 39% of Americans believe that religion is important to them. Now, re remember, that's just religion. Uh, how many of those people are even Christians? When you think about people that just say religion is important, of the, of the you know, 39% that just admitted religion was important to them, how many of those do you think are actually faithfully serving Jesus? And then this is the wildest part of the whole thing. It said in 1998, only 31% of Americans said that money was a priority in their life. I thought I was shocked by that, that only 31% of Americans said that money was a true priority in their life. Just kind of something that you had, you go for it. You know, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But I just found it interesting that recently, the recent study shows that money didn't go down, it went up. Now, 43% of people saying that having money is extremely important to them and it's a priority of their life. So it is interesting that America's desire for God has dropped from 62% to 39%, but our desire for money has increased. That in the time period where our need culturally for God and to find out wisdom and truth from what the Bible says, from what God has to say about our life, we've devalued what he has to say. And what we've said is instead, I would prefer to have money. And I think it's really important 
to recognize that even statistically, when we look at what that means, it means if God has gone down here and money has gone up here, what we see is that our country has officially adapted a form of idolatry when it comes to money. We have chosen the God of money over the God of the universe. It's a culture that worships money and even worships money. And even though scientific data proves to us, you can research this for yourself time and time again. Data proves to us that money does not make us happier. I will say this. It does decrease sadness. So I don't want to act like that. There are no benefits whatsoever. What we see is that in these intense studies, it shows that people may have less sadness, but it actually doesn't mean they have any more happiness. So if you're trying to increase your happiness and you're looking in money, it's the wrong place to be. And the problem with idolatry in, in general, and, and I think that all these things that we're talking about are idols. They're things that we deconnect from our vocation that God created us for was to serve him and to reflect his image in everything we do. And when we're connected to God and we're serving God, we see his goodness in everything. But when we deconnect with, from him and we connect to something else like sex or money or anxiety, we begin to reflect and look like that particular thing and that connection is called sin. So when we do that with money, we begin to look like the things that money offers us. The things that it affords us. Do you know what money really is? It's actually power. That sounds almost kind of scary, and it kind of should be. Because what it, we say, well, what do you mean money is power? Money is the power to get what you want when you want it. Money is the power to take shortcuts to things in life. You don't have to work out for, for great abs. Just go have someone implant them in you. Can you do that? I'll check into that if you can do it. I don't know. No? Okay, you can't do that. You can do other things. <laughs> you can do other things that, that give you a shortcut to all these benefits. My mom has a garden, and she's got all these you know, beautiful little vegetables and things that she grows. She's got lemon trees, all these things. I'll tell you something right now. The, the stuff that my mom cooks from her garden, it doesn't just taste better, but how much more do you think she enjoys eating something? Don't you appreciate and have a different appreciation for things in your life that you work for and that you earn? Because what money really teaches us and trains us to do is to shortcut our way to the top. I don't need to work hard in life. I don't need to develop character. I don't need to develop skill sets that, that set me apart in such a way that when people see me, they say, that's a person of excellence. I'll just buy the latest pair of shoes. And then that way, I can get the same thing that everybody else is wearing that has all the success. I'll just get the latest car. I'll just get the latest. And this is what money does to us, is it gives us power to get the things that we kind of want from God, but we know it might take a long time to get them. But when we get money, we're able to shortcut God, and that's really called idolatry. And here's the, here's the part about money, and let me tell you this right now. You will reach a point if you serve the God of money, and money can buy you a lot of things. But what it can't buy you is peace, 
What it cannot buy you is freedom from God's judgment someday when we stand before him. What it can't do is buy you a miracle. Anyone here today? What it can't do is buy you the righteousness that only comes from Jesus. You will run out of the things that money can buy you. And when you do, your heart will be destroyed. And that's what happens to people all the time that serve the God of money. They finally reach something. Maybe it's a death of someone that they love. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a certain kind of loss. And they just cannot live with the fact that they can't buy their way out of it. That's why Matthew 6, 19, when it tells us, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever you have your treasures stored up, that's always going to be in the back of your mind. You're, you're always going to know that it's there. No matter what you're doing or where you are, you are, your heart will be in that place. See, in, in this little passage of Scripture, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, it says something that sounds like it's changing the subject, but it's really not. It says, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. What is he talking about? He's talking about building up for yourselves treasure in the kingdom, learning the difference between having money in your pocket and your bank account and building up wealth in heaven and treasure in heaven. He's saying when your heart is toward heaven, your eyes are toward heaven and your eyes are open to the light of God. And what he says, your whole body is full of light. But when you begin to get unhealthy, and squint your eyes toward the kingdom and you get greedy and you begin to hold on to everything in your life. You're not letting the light of God in your life. And he says, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? When we stop letting the light of God in our life, we become greedy and self-absorbed and we become tr control freaks over our lives. And then it goes on to say in verse 24, remember, it's not changing the subject. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. Come on. God and money. You cannot serve God and money. It's not possible. And that's what's crazy is that there's a lot of people that think they're serving God, but they're serving money. And what happens is when you serve money instead of God, you demand that God serve you. But when you make a decision in your life to serve God instead of money, then you decide to let money serve you and serve the kingdom of God because your heart is toward heaven. Somebody can clap for the Lord today. God is a monarch. He's a monarch that rules over his kingdom sovereignly. He won't let anyone sit on his throne. But you know what? Money is also a monarch. And it demands. It demands. When it's in charge, it demands that nobody tells me what to do. That's why you have to put money in its rightful place.
Remember, it's power to influence, to take shortcuts, to avoid work, to get things immediately. So here's the question. How can you tell if you are the one that's serving money? That's really important for a Christian to be honest with ourselves, to ask this question. Well, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of, now, by the way, you notice how everyone says money is the root of all evil. Well, that's just not what it says. It doesn't say that, does it? Maybe it says that on your screen. No, it doesn't actually. No, it doesn't say it anywhere. Because it says, it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I like that too, all kinds of evil. You ever heard, man, that girl, all kinds of crazy. It's like many different types. It's like all kinds of evil come from the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving orego. And when I was studying this, that's the Greek word, O-R-E-G-O. And in that phrase, orego, is the word Oreo and go. So I'm hungry right now. I'm really very hungry. As I was studying, I was like, what's happening to me? Why do I feel the need to get up and go? Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. But it says, and some people craving, which that word orego means to stretch oneself out in order to grasp something. Some people craving money and stretching out to get it have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Think about that. Loving money for the love of money. That word used right there for the love of money is the, is the Greek word philagoros, loving money. And when you think about that, and you break that word down to how that, that Greek word comes to be, philagoros, P-H-I-L-A. What is that? Where do you hear that? Where, do you, where else do you hear that phrase? P-H-I-L-A. Philadelphia, that's right. And what is that? What is Philadelphia? It's the city of brotherly love. So we get that kind of love it's love or friendship, a connection with, a companionship with. So that's the first part of that word that means the love of money. The second part, argaros, means silver or shiny things. Do you like shiny things? Come on, be honest. <laughs> I like shiny things sometimes. I got to be careful that I don't build a companionship it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't say that having shiny things, having silver, having money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says that the companionship and the love of those things, the desire for those things, when you've got one outfit on, you're thinking, man, I can't wait to wear the next one. It's like you're not going for what you got. You're not, you don't have gratitude in your life. You're constantly thinking you can't be happy for other people. Greed and competition and envy start getting stirred up when you become friends with. Don't be friends with money. Unfriend money today. Because it says here, people that have this craving have wandered from the faith. 
and they have brought a world of sorrows on themselves. Look at someone next to you say, you bring that stuff on yourself. I know you've been wanting to say that all week. You probably, I don't know if you said it already, but I hope, hopefully that's the first time you said it this week. <laughs> we bring it on ourselves. We bring it on ourselves by wanting stuff so much. Even though we've learned the lesson time and time again, we've all gotten the stuff that we wanted before. We have. It doesn't matter what it is. On some level, you got something. Maybe, you know, I mean, maybe when you were little, I'll do one for the older folks like me. Maybe when you were little, you wanted that Star Wars Trapper Keeper. Who remembers what a Trapper Keeper is? Come on, don't, don't lie. Okay, yeah, what's up? Let's go. My jeez. My jeez. Even when you're young, for the young people, let me explain to you what it is. Google it, all right? So that's what I did. Whatever it is in your life that you want, whether it's big or small, there have been some things that you want. You said, man, if I could just have that backpack, if I could just have that bike, if I could just have, and then you got it. And what happened? You know, you enjoyed it for a little bit, right? But then, but then always that discontentment gets stirred up because that's what happens when you become friends and start reaching out for this. Luke chapter 19, here's the way you can know. I asked you that question, how can you tell if you're serving money? Luke 19 tells us the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a guy who was literally described as being rich. So he has everything, we think. You know, he's got everything that you can see from the outside. And when he meets Jesus, and when Jesus calls him down from that tree, says, I gotta come to your house, I gotta hang out with you, Zacchaeus' heart is so convicted by the love of Jesus that Jesus would ask him to spend time with him, even though he's a terrible person. He's a cheat. He lies to people. He's a tax collector, which was a despicable profession in this day and age. And he, he swindles people out of money. He is so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus that he says, Lord, anybody that I have robbed, I'm going to pay him back four times. I'm going to give money you know, away to the poor. I'm going to do all this stuff. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus rebuke him and say, no, Zacchaeus, it's not about all that. He says, this day, salvation has come to your house because the God that you used to worship no longer has power over you anymore. The moment that Zacchaeus said, I'm willing to give back what I took, I'm willing to repay I'm willing to become generous. I want to give. You've blessed me. I want to bless others. He says, you no longer serve money. Money serves you and you serve me. So we're good. Right? Come on. Is anyone here today? But yet in Luke 18, we have the counterpart to Zacchaeus. Here's the question on do you serve money or not? Well, which one of these do you feel like you're more like? We have to be honest with ourselves. It's the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, he goes, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, follow the Ten Commandments. And he goes, well, I do all that stuff already. But he's rich and he's young and he's a ruler. <laughs> he's got a lot of good things going on for him by all the things that we can estimate. And Jesus says, hmm, well, then go sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the guy went away and left Jesus, did not serve Jesus. He was so discouraged when he heard that. 
What does that tell us? It tells us that we can serve money. We can serve the God of money, but look like we're serving God. We can do all the outside stuff. We can have everything right to say. We can even refrain from doing bad things and do good things. That's not the point. Who are you serving? You have to do a deep dive into your own soul here. You got to let the word of God reach the, the deepest parts of your heart and reveal to you who you really are. Because this rich young ruler left. He was very discouraged, very sad because he served the God of money. And none of us can enthrone the true God unless in the process we dethrone the false gods. None of us can enthrone the true God unless in the process we dethrone the false gods. And if Christ is not Lord of our money and our possessions, then he is not our Lord at all. And I love this too. Just as Jesus regarded Zacchaeus' true spiritual condition by his willingness to part with his money, so he gauged the young ruler's true spiritual condition by his unwillingness to part with his. You say, well, what are you doing? Are you just trying to get me to give to this church? Is that the point of what you're doing? Are you going for my money? No, 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 no. I think, I think what this passage of scripture is doing, it's trying to teach us a principle about what happens inside of our heart with the things that we possess when our heart gets transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to ask ourselves, why do I want stuff so much? Really ask yourself that. Why do I want stuff so much? Does it really make me better? Am I storing up treasure in the right place? You know, when you think about um, our treasure in heaven, can you imagine if someone did an experiment with you and they put you, you know, like, like the show Big Brother, like they put you on this show. You got cameras everywhere. They said, here, here's some Monopoly money. Now you're going to live here a month and all the different people are going to have different jobs and you're going to be watched and how you interact and how much increase you bring to what you have been given is going to be studied. And then based on what we believe by how you act during this 30-day period, you know, you'll have a, a potential amount of points you get and you'll get anything from billions of dollars down to hundreds of dollars based on how faithful you are with what you've done. But can you imagine if, if that is the instructions and you go through the 30 days stealing everyone's monopoly money and hoarding all the monopoly money and saying, I've got it all. Oh my gosh, the 30 days is gonna be up soon. And if the rest of your life is gonna be set up by how you responded during that time period, then what are you doing when you think that you have it all? There are people in this world that hoard and think they've got it all now, but they don't realize that heaven is the country that we're gonna live in for eternity. And how we are positioned in heaven is equally proportionate to how we live our lives here on earth. The faithfulness that we demonstrate through our money, through our resources, through our gifts, through our talents, through what we've been given. God is much more efficient than big brother, right? Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. So I want to kind of close out with three basic points that I think that can be encouraging to you, you know, kind of ask ourselves the question, how do we worship God and not money? The first thing I would say is put God first. Number one would be put God first in your money. 
before I even read the scripture, I just want to tell you a, a personal story. I grew up in church, mom and dad, obviously pastors. This, this was my life growing up uh, around my parents who are very generous givers. For years, I remember my dad was the number one giver in our church for years, years, mom and dad. And I, I always wanted, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to do that same thing. Well, when I moved out to Dallas, I was 19 years old. I had just signed a record deal. I was touring. I was making music. I was getting money for, I was singing jingles in Dallas for American Airlines, for Bud Light, for uh, the Dallas Stars, for hockey team. I mean, I was doing all this stuff, making all this money on site. So I'm making like $80,000 a year as a kid uh, out there in Texas. Don't know what to do with my money. And I remember I had no money. It was just gone. I went from having no money and never even having a salary growing up, just enough to pay my gas and stuff like that, to having all this money as a kid and calling my dad and asking my dad to, oh, do you know this word, Western Union? Anyone ever heard that before? <laughs> this is before PayPal. This is where you had to get someone to send you money immediately, like you were so broke. I, ha I had all this money. I mean, when you look at my bills, I should have had enough to do anything I want, to invest, to save I had no money, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, can you send me some money? He goes, no. I said, Dad, I'll die. He's like, no, you will not. He goes, are you tithing? I was like, oh. Because the bottom line is I went to church at a church called Covenant Church. My pastor, his name was Mike Hayes. It was in Carrollton. I lived in Garland. I drove there not every Sunday, and that's another part of my you know, story growing up, I, if I would have been more faithful at attending, I think I probably attended every other week instead of every week because I thought, you know, oh, I'm a pastor's kid. I can read on my own. That was a big mistake too. But one of the biggest mistakes that I made is just every once in a while, if I liked the moment, if I liked what was happening, I would give something. I felt good about this. Oh, I like that cause. I like the way they said this. And, or I just got paid on this and you know, maybe I'll give a little tip here, give it a little bit of that. And I just had the weirdest mentality about money. Why? Because I was serving money. Money was something that I was using to get all the stuff I want that made me feel valuable, that made me feel worth, that gave me affirmation. And money had become a real God in my life at that time. That's the bottom line. And when my dad asked me that question, am I tithing? I go, yeah. No. You know, and I had to be honest. He goes, well, let me just tell you something. He said, son, it's, your, your pockets are going to have holes in them until the day you make a decision to start tithing. That day, that day, I made a decision in my life that I was going to start tithing. God, it seemed like I was, it seemed like a fortune. I was like, $150. Like it was going crazy. Like, I, I was like, well, I could do this. You start doing all these things. And I just started tithing faithfully. In my life, I made a decision. It's just, it's the first thing that I'm going to do. From that moment on, I had God's favor on my life. I could feel his blessing on my life. I never looked at money in the same way again. I just made a decision as a young man. This is who I am. I'm going to honor him first. It's gonna be a principle of my life. It's going to be a discipline of my life. And I believe Malachi 3.10 has such incredible value when it says to bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. 
If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down you a blessing until there is no more need. My dad challenged me with Malachi 3.10. He said, test God. See if when you become faithful to God, if he does not become faithful back to you. Now, I'm not saying that I never had a struggle since then, but I'm just saying that God has been faithful to me. My life does not look the same. You say, well, do you think we're under the law of tithing? I think that Jesus came to abolish the law. But there are certain principles in the Old Testament when it comes to God's moral law, like the Old Testament. Uh, that has nothing to do with, uh, you know, civil law. That has nothing to do with ceremonial law. God's moral law is completely intact. And I believe that tithing is also a moral law. I believe it's a principle that the power of it has every bit uh, the opportunity to bless us now if we do it and every opportunity to make to get us off base in serving money if we don't. And we got to be very careful with that. Um, Second Corinthians 10. So just for people that think, oh, well, he's saying that if I don't do it, I'll be careful. Well, just listen, this is important. I don't think that'll help you to give anyways, because Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. If you go and plant two seeds when harvest time comes, you can't be mad at the ground. You can't be mad at God either. Why? He created the principles of whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So it says each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So when it comes to your money, don't let people convince you and guilt trip you into giving. It's not going to do you any good anyways. What it's basically saying is unless you have... The same kind of experience that Zacchaeus did, where God just gets a hold of your heart and you say, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait to bless you. Lord, I just want to bless you. Unless you're giving out of the right spirit, it's not going to help anyways. You say, well, are you saying to hold my million dollar check and don't give it? Well, I'm, yeah, actually, I am. I'm saying that it's not going to bless you. It's not going to bless you. God's not going to bless your heart until he's got a hold of your heart. Right. OK. Amen. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, <laughs> praise God, you will abound in every good work. That's a lot of alls and everys there. But that's what happens when you give cheerfully to God. So, that, so number one, put God first in your money. Is that good? Yeah. Number two, be a good steward. We don't hear the word steward very often these days. It's not, it's not, we don't have that job position in our houses anymore the way they did back then. And that word comes from two Greek words, oikos, which means house, and the Greek word namos, which means law. So the law of the house. And that, okay, listen to this, oikonomia, when you put those two words, does that sound like anything? Economy. That's where we get the phrase economy from. It's those two words, which means house and law or rule. So that's the word that is used for steward in Luke 16. When we talk about stewards and stewards were people who had the rule of the house 
over the house's finance. I would appoint a steward to run my money in the house. They would look at all the money that was coming in, all the expenses and say, here's your budget. You have this much to spend. You have and that's what Joseph did in Potiphar's house. He was the steward of the house. And so when it comes to stewards, we are the stewards of our own finance. So I'd like to ask you really quick, what is the law of your house? What is the economy of your house? What have you established as God's steward? God put you in charge. First of all, it's his house. It's his money. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So he's made each one of us stewards over what belongs to him. I'm not even getting into the parable of the talents today. I'm just trying to give an overview of money. So if we're stewards, we have to be a good steward. Luke 16, 10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? That shows the power of stewardship, that God is looking at us. There's a lot of people that are praying for increase in their life when it comes to money. And God said, why would I increase someone who hasn't been faithful with the little that they've been given? Be faithful with the, the little that you've been given. That's the, that's the kingdom in everything you do. That is the kingdom in everything you do. I'm gonna tell you something. When I was growing up, we did not have a lot of money, but my houses that I lived in, they were clean, they smelled good. They had cute little stuff everywhere. My mom was involved in this little thing called home interior. She always had the latest little picture hanging on the wall. Not, not super expensive, but it always, I'm telling you something, you can have money, but have no class, but you can have class and have no money. I think it's important in our life. I think it's important that we make sure that we value having class and having the kingdom before having money. And what do I look at? My mom, the way she took care of those little, those little apartments, we had little roach infested apartments that that wasn't our fault, but when we moved in them, they were like that. What they do, they buy a bunch of, well, I had raid by my bed. I'm telling you, that's the way it was growing up. You'd be squirting things in the night. You, you figure, figure it out. You run them jokers out in little La Cucarachas uh, es do, uh, del uh, Diablo. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, you're seeing some of the psychology of why I talk about these things all the time. But here's the bottom line. Mom and dad were faithful with the little things. And what happens? Now they got a beautiful home that they retired in. They got a beautiful home they retired in. But what do I see when I walk in there? I see beautiful little stuff all over the place. And she takes care of all those things the same way she did. The dollar value on each item may be a little bit more than it was. But you know what? I still see the same love and care that she had with the other things. You can be a millionaire and have a messy house. You gotta learn that money can't buy you everything. It definitely can't buy you class. So let's learn in our life that Proverbs 11:24 also tells us the world of the generous gets larger and larger. This is not a series on generosity. It's not a sermon today on generosity, but I believe generosity is a part of money. And when you're thinking about money, learn how to give it away. Why? Giving breaks the grip of materialism on your life. You hear that at City of Life a lot, why? Because we thought about what that means. That when you force yourself to give, you're feeling materialistic, that's the time to give. You say, oh, I can't give, I gotta have this, I gotta have to give. 
Give is a one-word revival. You want to start a revival in your heart? Then give. So spend wisely. I think on that. Be a good steward within that. A couple of ideas here. Spend wisely. Save diligently. And give generously. Then finally, number three would be be content. You want to make sure that money doesn't control your life? Be content. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I want to quote the great philosopher, the great philosopher, Cheryl Crow, if I could for just a moment. I love a line from one of her songs, Soak Up the Sun. She says, it's not having what you want. It's wanting what you've got. And I'm thankful for what I've got. I'm thankful for the things that God has given me. I want the things that I've got. Why? Because God gave them to me. And wanting them is appreciating them and having value for them, caring about them. There's something in that. And then finally, I would tell you that with contentment, what, what, is, the, what is the mental picture you get when you think of contentment? I mean, are you thinking of like Winnie the Pooh after he ate honey or something like that? I mean, it's, that's kind of the idea that we get sometimes, this like sweet little idea of what contentment looks like. But listen what Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. That means that in order to have contentment, we have to execute idols in our life on a regular basis so that we can be happy. You can do all kinds of things. You, can, you with your spouse can sit down and say, hey, we're gonna be more generous than ever. After this message today, you can sit down and say, we're going to start tithing. Oh, what does that mean? We're not gonna be able to go to the movies. We won't die if we don't go to the movies. We're gonna cancel Netflix. That's probably pretty good, you know? You're gonna be all right, you're gonna live. We gotta, we're gonna stop going out to eat so that we can be generous to others. We have friends that have needs in their life. It's not simply just giving to church. You wanna be generous in your personal life. When you see people that have needs, isn't it great to be able to help them? Isn't that the purpose why God blesses us? The Bible tells us that wealth in itself is not bad as long as you're using it for God's kingdom to bless others and to help with. So be a good witness, live on a budget, learn to live below your means. I know that's a lot of stuff. But when I look at that Wall Street Journal report and I see that people's, the significance of community involvement has dipped. Having children, it's dipped. Religion has dipped. But having money has become more important in our world than God. That tells me that we need to put money in its right place. And we need to put God in his right place. So I hope today encourages you uh, and helps you to do that. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Those of you that are watching online, I want to give you an opportunity right now to know the Lord, to get your heart right with God. I want to pray for you. If you feel far from God or you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Never ask God to forgive you for your sins. That's you here today. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands. If you're watching online, I'll ask you to lift your hand as well. Also, to type in the chat, when I count to three, type, I'm lifting my hand. I need Jesus in my life. I believe God is going to move in this room. People watching online, He 
loves you, he cares for you. We can't earn God's love. Jesus already accomplished that on the cross for us in our place, on our behalf. The way that we come to God is by putting our faith in Jesus. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that can cause our hearts to know that we need God because we want to solve all our problems ourselves and make everything else our God. But Jesus loves you. He's looking at you just like he did at Zacchaeus. The guy was talking about, he's saying, hey, I love you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. Let me be your Lord. Let me be your Savior. If that's you today with no one looking around, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on three. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe every person here has been drawn here by the power of the Holy Spirit for this very moment. Three, hands up all over the room if that's you. Anyone say, hands up, hands up, one up in every section today. God sees your hands. Anyone online? Just lift your hand. Type in the chat, I need Jesus in my life. Could you repeat this prayer with me out loud? Say, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life, walking into a brand new life with you, Lord Jesus. I will never be the same. Help me to break the grip of materialism in my life. Help me to break allegiances to false idols and to serve you and you alone all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a great praise. Amen. He's good. Love you very much. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.